Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So, are these your notes? These, <laughs> these are your notes about what we're going to say. What does I it say? it would be a good... <laughs> I didn't even get to idea. Okay. Maybe I can just ask you the question. Oh, okay. <laughs> going well it's going really well (laughs) hello and welcome back to the right and wrong podcast i'm emma and i'm jamie and today we're chatting with simon van der veld whose debut book backstories is out now hi simon thanks for joining us Hi, Jamie and Emma. Hello. You okay? How are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> I'm very good. I'm very good. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Oh, that's good. Nice well, to welcome to the show. Exactly. It's always nice to have people, you know, and not just speak to ourselves monotonously. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, no, it's lovely to have you on the show. So let's start off by talking about backstories. Do you want to give the listeners a bit of a rundown about what it is, since it's something that's a little bit different, I guess? Um and yeah, what what the spark was that set you off about this project? So backstories, well, like the name suggests, it's a connection of backstories of famous people before they were famous. And what I've tried to do is to pinpoint a pivotal moment in their lives when they might have turned left and might have turned right to sort of mm-hmm. make that point that for all of us, there's those moments. You know, a bit sliding doors kind of moment. Sliding doors, yeah, yeah. But I suppose the most significant thing from the reader's point of view is I don't tell you who the story is about. I don't tell you who they are. So you get their feelings and their situation and their challenges in the world that they live in, and you follow them through, and gradually the clues get heavier. And at some point, you get that eureka moment where you go, that's whose head I've been living in for the last 20 minutes. Right. Okay. So you get this challenge. So, so on the one hand, you get the game, you're trying to identify them. But then on a deeper level, what you're then trying to do is understand them and assimilate your what you knew before about, let's say, Madonna mm-hmm. and this new story that you've come to without realising it was about Madonna, but being in the side, the head of this, young Italian-American girl who's trying to make it and got all these challenges. And then at the end, you you get these two different truths that Mm, you have to try and bring together. So that's basically how it works. So it's part game, part storytelling. It's it's, it's a sort of little little quiz in itself. Yeah. It's a game, although I'm anxious that people, it is a game and you can have fun with it, but I'm anxious that people don't just think it's just a game. And that it's a trivial because uh, the, the the goal of it, the purpose of it, is to make is to go beyond the sort of cheap headlines, the easy easy ways in which we summarise famous people and yeah. see yeah. them more as real people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Which is a, um, which is a very important way of hmm. viewing celebrity because it is such a huge thing in our society nowadays. Definitely, I massive so. thing. 
Definitely. And so what was this, the spark that set you off with the project? It was, you know, is it something that you've always wanted to do? Have you been writing it for a long time? Well, I've been writing for a hell of a long time. But mm-hmm. uh, with this, it was funny. I was in the middle of a novel and went to see um, a concert. And we went to see this this old guy, basically, who'd been a real hero of mine when I was a kid. And I was a bit thinking, oh, God, is he going to be a bit rubbish? You know, he's, um, you know, he's getting on. He was absolutely brilliant. And um, mm. and the chat was brilliant about, you know, basically his backstory. So I went away. I got home and the next day I put this novel aside and I wrote just a little almost throwaway piece and gave it to my in-house editor, who was my mm. wife. And she said, you know, this is great. <laughs> this in-house. is what you should be doing. And then, That's of course, great. all the accepted, the, the wisdom is no, you, you, nobody wants to read short stories, especially in the UK. There's no market. It'll never work, blah, blah, blah. But she told me to do it. And as usual, she was absolutely right. And it's, uh, it's yeah, it's gone from there. Oh, I love a short, short story. Do you, Jamie? I like a short story. Yeah, I, I do. I think that but it's just, yeah. I, I, I do think it's a much harder market uh to to break into and i think but i think an anthology like this uh, especially when it's with these kind of famous personalities and characters that most people know that really mm. is a, a great pull on the whole thing and speaking of those personalities what was the process that you went through for choosing each person well the basically my heroes and anti-heroes of my childhood. So I'm, right. I'm getting on a bit. So I was born in 1967. So I grew up in the 70s, I suppose. And so the people from the 70s, even the 60s, because I think when you when you grow up, the generation just before yours has an extra mystique. So yeah, they were, yeah. they, that's who these characters are. Um, and then I dot around a little bit. There are some people from further back. There's some people who are more modern. Um, but that's the kind of people who are significant to me. And I, uh-huh. so I aimed it, I imagined, at the sort of 40s, 50s age group. But what's been amazing, really, really great, is that 20-somethings have been loving it as well. Um, and, of course, for them, it's history, which I find a bit weird. But, you know, they still... <laughs> You know, it might be a name that rather that they they name you, they've heard it, their parents talk about it or whatever. And then it's suddenly like, wow, I have an insight into who this person really was rather than just who the media said they were. Yeah. And then that probably triggers them to dig deeper into that. There's and... a lot of Google rabbit holes I send people down, which, which is great. You know? <laughs> I bet, yeah. <laughs> but that's great. I mean, it's yeah. uh, research. And I mean, that this is, in it is historical fiction. Uh, so what was what's your approach to research on this? Because, you know, it can be quite, when you're talking about real people that existed, things that really happened, you have to be quite sensitive with those sorts of things. So how did you approach the research for this? Well, I mean, to be yes, you have to be very sensitive, but the, the research is important, but it's almost like that's not the most difficult thing. The most difficult thing is the fictional element, because you can research that on this particular day, this particular thing happened, but you can't research 
what was your hero feeling and thinking? And that's yeah. the bit I have to not exactly get right, not in a factual sense, get right, but get right in an emotional, in an emo, get, get to the emotional truth. So, yeah, in a way, the yeah. research is easy. I don't have to go to the library anymore, do I? Things have changed. So start with <laughs> Wikipedia um, and, and go from there. And it's all on the internet. I can do it all sitting in this chair that I'm sitting in now, you know. Um, mm. But the, the hard bit is then, how did they really feel? What was the mix of emotions? How really yeah. did they go the other way? Yeah, because I guess right. that's very hard yeah. to capture considering you are obviously not them. <laughs> or, you know, in their, within their, you know, it's it's, it's quite hard to, it's, it's quite easy to maybe, maybe surmise how, how they feel. And I guess this is a... Um, an anthology, as Jamie said, of, of many different, you know, characters from many different backgrounds. So did you ever feel like maybe a little bit worried that you might be sort of treading on other people's toes by telling some of these personal stories? Yes. Okay. I, I, worried, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I worried that I might, and that made me try harder. But am I, in the end, I mean, there's some people who say, if you're not a woman, you can't write a woman's point of view. And I mm. don't agree with that because okay. my view is I'm a writer. That's my job to put myself in other people's shoes, be they male or female or trans or black or white or anything else. It's that's my job. Now, it's not it's it's right that I should do it. But especially in the light of history, it's incumbent on me to do a good job, to do them justice. And that, uh, you know, is is read the book, make the judgment. I guess that's where maybe research comes involved as well. I think, did you speak to any, um, did you speak to any people of these, sorry, maybe minority backgrounds or people that you spoke about within the, within the book when you were writing it? Or did you kind of do it through just the internet, like what you said? Or did you speak to people just to maybe in, be informed a little bit more in regards to it? Well, I've got a really good group of um, readers, the beta readers, you know, who mm. so when the first draft's done, I'll send it out to them and yeah. they'll give me some feedback. And I've also got a little writing group. There's five of us. Um, and, you know, slightly diverse group. And I get a lot of feedback from them. And it's really, it's really useful because, of course, I'm emotionally close to my work and it's quite hard sometimes to take criticism. But, it, you know, I do realise it's much better to be criticised in a small group of five people who wish me well than to really put my foot in it Um you know, when you're talking about, oh, I don't know, you know, a feminist issue, mm, um, yeah. I want to get it right. And it doesn't mean, and you're never going to please everybody. You know, I, it, that's not possible. But I give my honest best take on how I feel they they felt, you know. So I, I, I for the purposes of while I'm writing these stories, I am these people. Yeah, and you do not shy away from those very serious topics in in lots of these stories as well. Oh, absolutely no! I mean, the point—that's the whole point. I mean, there's fun, there's funny moments, but it's yeah. it's underneath the game. It's a yeah. I've got serious things I want to say. Hmm. Yeah, and what was their like initial? Do you think? Um, 
because I think it's such an interesting concept to write um, and, and obviously a difficult one as well and, and it's out there to buy. I think what was their initial or people's initial reaction when you um when they did read it like as in um outside of maybe your um your writing groups and as well as your writing group um well so suddenly it's out there in the world so mm. i i i'm a great disciple of some a guy called david goffron who basically tells you how to market books and one of the things he set me to do was to go and find book blog, book bloggers on social media. And these are mm. people who, they're not doing it for money, they're doing it for love. They'll read your book and give an honest opinion. And some of them might have 100 followers, some might have 1,000, some might have 30,000. Um, so I'm, so that's where I, that was the first port of call, these people. And with exceptions, with probably two or three out of a hundred exceptions, everybody absolutely loved it. So that was obviously great because you you feel very vulnerable, you know, putting it all out there. But, you know, I like to think I did a good job and it is just so wonderful to get that kind of feedback that, yeah, we think you did a great job. So, so hopefully readers will continue to think that. Of course, the problem now is... I've got to write book two and hit the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Always the issue. Where do I find more words? Um, well, let's talk about your, obviously, your role to publication. You are releasing this through um, Smoke and Mirrors, which is a mini publishing house that you've set up. Is that right? Well, basically, I, yeah, I mean, I've had all sorts of ins and outs with the publishing industry. And my niece, who's in marketing, who wasn't even born when I started, uh, basically said, yeah, there's no great secret to all this. Um, so her and her friend and I set up Smoke and Mirrors Press. Backstories is the first book. Uh, we've launched it. And it seems like uh, Thea, my, my niece, was right. There's no great secret to it. You write a really mm -hmm. good book, make sure people hear about it, and it works. Yeah. Mm, and we've, I mean, we've spoken to... A few self-published authors. This, I mean, this isn't strictly self-publishing, but it, you know, yeah. it's, you're in that same area, pushing your work out there, marketing it. It's a lot of work. You've mentioned the book bloggers. What else was involved in that process? Um, well, setting up a website. The idea being that once you get fans, you they can sign up to your website, so that when you launch book two you have a ready-made set of contacts. So we, so we did that um, and making sure we got a good cover, making sure that every word was edited and re-edited so there weren't stupid mistakes, making sure it was properly typeset, make, making sure all the layout on Amazon was right, making sure we made the right decision. Should we be Amazon exclusive or should we not? Um, just, I mean, Amazon, you know, in some ways I'm not a fan of Amazon, but what it does do to... You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. 
LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. People like me with very small publishers and, and the independents, is it's a leveler because so long as you can do those things I've just said, you you can you're in the same shop window as Harper Collins. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in many ways, yeah. Did you for the editing and um, presumably the cover designs and things like that? Did you get external um, people to to work on that? Professionals? Yeah, I did. I, I didn't. Yeah. I was advised again that it's important to get a really good cover, and oh, I definitely. didn't really understand that because I thought. You don't judge a book by its cover, but of course, that's all you've got <laughs> to go on. Yeah, yes. and and I, in terms of opening doors, in terms of getting in with the bloggers in the first place, a lot of the people who were sort of, you know, initially it was the very small bloggers who would, oh, I'll give it, oh, I like your cover, I'll give it a go, and then obviously when a small blogger's going, oh yeah, this is great, and then it's an E and it opens a door to a slightly larger blogger and so on. But the initial mm. door opening is is the cover, yeah. and. You know, and and then now it's sort of riding high in the Amazon charts, so it pops up. But of course, I'm still a writer that nobody's heard of, so all they've got to go on is the cover. So I'm really, really grateful to uh, Jill Healy for um, the design, which is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's it's a it's a striking cover. It's a it's a really good one. And. You've mentioned you've been writing a long time. You've been writing. Do you write mostly short stories historically as well? Or well, do you, depends. Do you go in for the full. Depends how far you want me to go. But I mean, when I first started <laughs> writing, they the advice I was given, which is good advice, is start with short stories. You know, you learn the value of every word. You've got a manageable project. You've got a kind of one one incident, one scene to write. So I ignored yeah. all that and wrote an enormous. Well, yeah. At my second go at writing, I wrote an enormous novel with millions of characters, which was completely the wrong thing to do, and spent four years editing it. Got very <laughs> frustrated, but I learned yeah. a lot along the way. Uh, sounds yeah. like my first novel. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think you have to go through that. I think maybe, well, maybe there's the odd person who doesn't, but... It's um, one way to learn, for sure. Yeah, and I think in a way you can only learn, you can learn so much from teachers and so on, but you've got to learn by making the mistakes for yourself that's yeah yeah yeah. definitely there's very i guess very few and far between people that we've spoke to um on the podcast that have like brought out the book and it's just been their one labor of love although there has been those people as well that have you know just kind of struck i wouldn't say struck lucky but have worked on one thing Mm -hmm. for a long time and it's had like an end payoff but a lot of people have wrote you know a big thing beforehand with lots of characters that didn't really work for them and then they've (laughs) they've come out with something else you know like jamie yeah exactly (laughs) Exactly. because i had you have to figure out all the things you shouldn't do by doing them and then you're like ah now i see that everything i did was wrong it's a yeah (laughs) i mean some some people maybe are better at taking advice i i'm i'm i I think now I finally reached the age where I can take advice. But for a long time, I had to make my own mistakes with everything. I had to do everything wrong. I had to ignore everybody, make a mess of it. And then, uh, you know, like you say, Jamie, just you, you learn from your mistakes. And, and mm. 
and then and you know start to think a little bit because it was very pure thing for me this is my creative energy and it still is and i'm very sort of intensely honest about it but at the same time almost in a you know holding two states of mind at the same time i'm also aware that i'm writing to an audience to entertain so for Mm -hmm. example this backstories idea whilst it's my heroes and I'm trying to get to the truth of them. They're snappy, punchy stories, which are entertaining. And I don't expect you to listen to me waffle on about the shade of blue of the sky for a paragraph. <laughs> I get into the story, you know, and, and there's a moment of tension. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's something happening in the first paragraph that gets you in there. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what people want. Why, you know, you've worked all day. This is your relaxation. You know, you want to, be entertained i've got to compete with netflix you know <laughs> so true well that's that's bold that's a different i guess thing short stories with. you know yeah. do that don't they they're, they're very i guess they, they capture people that just want something that's quite quick and enticing and exciting and they can get either facts from it or they can get immersed in some sort of like a single character usually rather than a massive arc of a character you know and um, so yeah. I think it's definitely for a certain sort of reader but as well it, it, I, I mean I find them really fun to read I, I quite like short stories myself personally um can I but yeah I mean Emma I you see that's kind of what everybody thinks but i i i just don't agree with that i just think short stories can provide the same experience as a novel i mean obviously it's not exactly the same because you're not with the same person for 300 pages you're with the same person for 20 or 30 pages yeah but in terms of i don't know i think you can get just as involved in the character but you just don't yeah. have to spend so long doing it. There's a lot of yeah, things I you think, can do yeah. with a short story that you that you can be much more experimental, I think, and you can mm. push more boundaries than you might necessarily be able to do with a novel. Well, if you want to get the novel published. Yeah. Well, this is it. it <laughs> this is it. You can yeah. do whatever you like, but you've got to you've got to produce something that it's publishable. And by publishable, it means people waiting on a tax return, hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Look at a one to read. And there's always a few people who want to, you know, I don't know, feel worthy or whatever. But basically, it needs to be entertaining. If it's entertaining, then, yeah, I can I can express my truth, which is what I want to do. But it's got to be entertaining first. And I think, you know, experimental. I mean, this is experimental in a way because it's certainly the most original book. Well, as someone said, the most original book of the year. It's very very different and i suppose what it has that other short stories don't have is because it's about someone you already know there's so much that's left unsaid that's implied so whereas some short stories you know they basically fall off the page because they have to at some point it's just a scene this is Mm. a scene that then implies the following 70 years 
Yeah. Mm. And then you, yeah. you're also free to, you know, hopefully you've sparked an interest and then the reader is free to research that person as much or as little as they want. Yeah. And they're all people, I mean, they're all people that you've heard of. Even if you're 23, you've heard of them. If you're my age, you'll feel an attachment to them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. while we're talking about publication, mm. um, so you, you, you did opt to go down this, uh, self-publishing kind of route but you've been writing for a long time did you try the traditional route yeah i mean i wouldn't say uh, we've had it i've had some arguments with people about this i wouldn't say i'm self-publishing but i mean sure we know what it is so yeah i mean it's not it's not um you know Canongate for sure um i mean if i go right back to the beginning and stop me if it gets boring is that all right <laughs> yeah that's fine yeah of course tell us all right, so in the early 90s, right, it's a long time ago, I wrote, and I kid you not, I wrote a middle grade story about a boy who sort of picked on and he turns out to be a powerful wizard. So, and this, and, and I, I um, so this is obviously pre-Harry Potter. And a, a friend of mine said, well, I've got, I've got a friend who started a literary agency. I didn't even really know what a literary agency was, you know, Um but he said, oh, I'll give it to him if you like. I think it's really good. So he took it off to his friend and his friend really liked it. And his friend turned out, it was Johnny Geller, who I had no idea who he was, who's now the CEO of Curtis Brown. But okay. unfortunately, at the time, Johnny Geller was the post boys assistant. So whilst Johnny Geller liked it, his boss wrote me a, a scathing rejection. And being, you know, about 23 or four or something. Well, I should have done is sent it to 50 other agents, but uh, I just thought, oh, well, you know, and I think I was sort of told that it's, you know, that's not a realistic thing to do, go and do something sensible. So that was kind of the end of my writing career for quite a long time. I became a solicitor because I was told I should. And um, the years passed. Um, and then I sort of, I, I met Nikki, who's now my wife, who, mm-hmm. you know, was the, you know, a nice person, a nice nurturing person. So she got me started again. And that led to, I did various courses and uh, learned how to write. And eventually I did an MA. And then, um, so, and then that brings us to 2012 was the sort of next big breakthrough. I had a novel called The Benjamin Exhibition that was shortlisted for the Harry Bowling Prize, which was run by Headline, an MBA literary agency. Oh, brilliant. And that, I mean, certainly for anybody who's trying to get in, that's a way in. If you can win a prize or even be shortlisted for mm. a big prize, people take yeah. notice. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a massive way to get in. You know, on socials, mm. people share that a lot as well. And I guess like, Picking up from that, would you have any sort of major um, advice for people wanting to get into the industry after obviously, you know, um, having a few trials and tribulations and obviously, you know, accolades as well? I think what advice would you give to people like encroaching on their writing career at at the moment? Oh, do something else? No, not really. Um, it's but it's hard and you've got to be thick skinned and you you will almost certainly however pure and good your thoughts and however bright you are you'll have to write the bad words to get to the good words 
and you have yeah. to learn to be thick-skinned, which is easy to say and not easy to do. And yeah. don't enter one competition, enter 50. Don't send to one agent, send to 50, and then send to 50 more. Because yeah. I, I used to think that, that you know, agents, literary agents or publishers were somehow the arbiters of what was good. And if your stuff was good enough, they would take it. And it isn't yeah. really like that. Yeah, it has to be of a certain standard. But the bottom line is it's, it's the, it, it, you know, it's, it's an industry, the publishing yeah. industry. People are trying to make a living. So what they want to see is something they think they can sell. Yeah, it's business. Yeah, yeah so, so I don't know, you get something like Lovely Bones. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah. But it, it opens yeah. uh, with you getting that you get the voice of the girl, and you realise quickly she's just been murdered. So this is mm. a brilliant idea. It's a brilliant opening chapter, and for me, the rest of the book was a bit rubbish. But it was a brilliant opening, and you know that got them in and was enough for them to be able to sell it on, I suppose. But mm. um, I don't know. It, you've got to hang in there, and you know a lot of it's just about perseverance, and you've got to figure out your own journey, how you're going to get through the industry, and you have to. Tr- I guess you have to try all the different avenues to to see which one you're going to take. Well, I suppose so. And I think it's it's hard because if you're going to write well, you can't be constantly second-guessing every word you write and thinking, well, I'm going to try and write this because I think it's popular because it won't mm. be very good. It won't be really good. You've got to write what something that means something to you. But at the same time, you've got to write something that will work in the market. So you've, also got to, you've almost got to hold two different states of mind at the same time. Yeah. 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 I've seen yeah. writing uh, interviews with authors and things, and and some of them do say like first you write your book with all the love and passion and uh, drama that you want to put into it, and then after that you have to throw all that out, put your marketing hat on, and say right, how does this book go to market? And you got to get cold about it and think about it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. But I think. That brings us on to our final question, mm. a oh, question wow. that we ask everybody. Yes. And that, Simon, is if you were unfortunate enough to be marooned on a <laughs> desert island and were allowed to, br- to bring a single book, which book would you take with you? Well, I've got two. Can I have two? Well, I'll tell the choices between Oscar and Lucinda. For okay. you know all that you know tragic innocence and stuff, and then for that moment where yeah. they're floating down the river in the glass church, which is just amazing. And my other choice is waiting for the barbarians, okay. where which is just it's just great because you know they are the barbarians, so it just it it just rings so true of so much of yeah. what's going on now. So I don't know. I think I think on a desert island waiting for for the barbarians because it's that that fear of outsiders and fear of difference, which is exactly mm. what I'm going to need to not have if I'm going to get on well with the other inhabitants of the desert island. <laughs> <laughs> and they're growing every week. So there you go. For Stay sure. tuned. Yeah, well, exactly. thank you so much, Simon. It's yeah, been really great you. chatting with you. Yeah, thanks yeah, for joining us, Simon. 
it's been really interesting chatting to you and and for the listeners um backstories is available to purchase right now if you'd like to keep up with simon's latest news and updates you can follow him on twitter um which is at simon vdv rider and to make sure that you don't miss an episode of this podcast follow us on twitter at right and wrong uk or on instagram at right and wrong podcast you can also find our guest book list and the desert island library list at uk.bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash right and wrong thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time bye Bye, thank you